Let's pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I remember one time somebody referred to me as a Biblian, which is a kind of an odd word, a Biblian. And I had to ask what the definition of that word was, and they said it's somebody who loves the Bible. It's kind of like a Christian, someone who loves Christ. But I do love the Bible, and I love reading it, and I have favorite parts like many of you do, and you probably have favorite Bible passages. I have favorite Bible passages, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, for example, is my confirmation verse. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is my life verse. I try to follow and pattern my life after that one. But there are also interesting little phrases in the Bible that I've come across that I like. For example, one time when Jesus told the disciples to throw their nets over the other side of the boat and the disciples said, we've been fishing all night, Peter says, nevertheless, whatever you want, we will. I like that little verse. One of my other favorite little phrases in the Bible is, and it came to pass. I love that. You can have anything happen, but it came to pass. Well, another one of my favorite Bible uh, phrases is located in Mark 16, which Sue just read to you. I'm not going to go through the whole story again, but that phrase and the story behind it is the lesson that, uh, and the lesson it teaches what we're looking at today as we end up our little short series on grace anatomy but i want to take you back again just for a moment to these women they had gone to the tomb on that easter day to anoint the dead body of jesus that was their task but when they got there that big stone had been rolled away from the front of the tomb (coughs) and jesus was no longer there instead they saw an angel who said jesus had been raised from the dead and then he said here it is in verse 7 but go tell his disciples and Peter. <clears throat> now, that, <clears throat> that's the phrase I want you to hear. And Peter. Now, you probably can't believe that anybody could preach a sermon on two words, do you? Well, believe me, I think I can. And Peter. Now, I want you to understand something at background. All the disciples, with the exception of one, had run away. They had abandoned Jesus silently, but Peter's rejection of Jesus was very loud, and it was very public. And I can imagine at that point, Peter thought he was no longer one of the disciples. And more significantly, I could probably think that the rest of the disciples maybe thought that Peter was no longer part of the group. I mean, he had all but turned in his resignation. He had denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. But see, in this story, and this is very important for us today, we see that God is the God of restoration. Peter was forgiven of this sin. He was restored. He actually became a church leader. In fact, just a few weeks after denying Jesus, Peter was kind of back in the pulpit, if you will. He preached on Pentecost, and guess what? 3,000 people came to know Jesus that day. I mean, Peter's life from there on was really different. I don't know how much you know about him. But people were healed because of Peter's prayers. God spoke to Peter in visions and dreams. And when Peter used to walk down the street, 
people felt like if they could just walk through his shadow, <coughs> they would be healed. And according to historical legend, Peter died by being crucified, not like Jesus, but upside down. Because, as he said, I am not worthy to die in the same manner as my Lord. Now, I grew up in the church. I mean, I grew up in Seward, Nebraska, went to St. John's Lutheran grade school. I went to Concordia Lutheran High School. I went to Concord was then Concordia Teachers College. I mean, I've grown up in the church. And I was taught a lot of Sunday school stories about Peter. But I didn't know the full story for a long time. And maybe some of you don't either. I mean, we're, we're normally told stories about Peter, about how, you know, when the waves started going, he began to sink when he tried to walk on the water. We know Peter is the guy who, you know, got his little sword, he, he jumps out and he whacks off an ear of Malchus. We know Peter as being kind of bold and brash. We know the story about Peter denying Jesus three different times. But as I got older and I began to connect the dots between these stories, if you will, and as I began to read my Bible, I, I got a little further than the Gospels, and I suddenly, I almost couldn't believe that the Peter of the book of Acts was the same Peter that was back here in the book of Mark. And then when I read First and Second Peter, you know, later in the, in the New Testament, I was surprised that Peter did not mention, not even once, that he was the one who had denied Jesus. I mean, you read First and Second Peter, and you don't find a guy that's completely overcome by guilt. You don't have a guy who's full of shame or remorse. Instead, he, here's a man who speaks with authority. He speaks with confidence. He tells his readers to practice self-control and to be holy and avoid hypocrisy and to live for God. And I wondered, how can he write with such boldness when he sinned so publicly? Well, I'm going to tell you, the reason is that Peter experienced the restoring grace of God. And you know something? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You sinned. You failed. It was pretty public. It was well known. But here you are. I mean, I still reflect back to the day when a teacher of mine said, you're just a gangster, and that's all you're ever going to be. I can remember a few years later when I walked out of the church when I preached on the anniversary of my congregation. And he said, I think I was wrong. And I said, no, you were right. Well, how can you move from there to there apart from the restoring grace of God? I mean, the critics of Peter, just think about it. The people who would really want to kind of lambast Peter, they could have said, this guy's got no place in the ministry. I mean, he's impulsive. He has the knack of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. You know, he doesn't just stick one foot in his mouth. He's got both feet in his mouth. I mean, Jesus, I mean, Jesus even called Peter Satan one time. Remember? Get behind me, Satan. Peter made a fool of himself when he tried to walk on the water. I mean, Peter violently attacked a soldier in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter has no place in the leadership of the church. Now, everything critics said about him is absolutely positively true, but there's one simple little fact that negates it all, and that again is the restoring power of the grace of God. Now, here may be the most important thing I'm going to tell you all day, friends. No matter how far you have fallen, no matter how many times you have fallen, you are never too far down 
to be picked up by Jesus to be cleaned up and given a brand new start. Now, you may feel somehow that your sins have excluded you from any hope of having a good life, but the restoring power of God's grace changes everything in your life. God is the God of second chances, or third chances, or fourth chances, or fifth chances. He, God is the God of the forgotten past. In fact, I don't know if you know what God said in Hebrews 8. He says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. He goes on and says, uh, their sins, their lawless acts, I will remember no more. He says in Isaiah 43, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. Now, some of you have got memories like elephants. Some of you are sitting next to people who have sinned against you in some way, said something, done something, and you will never, ever forget it. To you, I say, cut it out. But we're human beings, aren't we? But does it astonish you or amaze you that God can actually forgive your sins and forget about it? I mean, Lord, forgive me for this, and God says, I forgive you. Go and, and, and change your life. And then you come back a couple weeks later and you say, God, you remember that one sin? And God goes, what? What sin? What are you talking about? He's forgotten it. See, if you failed, you can experience the same kind of restoration Peter experienced, the same kind of power brought back into your life. You can benefit from that same kind of forgetfulness that propelled Peter from being a, a pathetic failure to being a fearless leader. Now, the question is, how do we experience the restoring power of God's grace? How do we get back on the right track again? Well, I want to suggest three things today, very quickly. Three ways that we can all reconnect with God. Now, here's the very first way, and that is to keep the door open. Keep the door open. Now, I know a lot of people who fail. I've talked to a lot of people in my 45, nearly 45 years in the ministry who, who, who've done some horrible things, uh, who failed, and because of their guilt and shame, they have somehow closed the door to any chance of reconciliation. They, in effect, make God's decision for him. They say, oh, God's through with me, or God couldn't use me anymore, or God couldn't, they, you know, God, they, God can't, God can't, God can't. That's what they say. I'm not going to bother God with this. And so they're slamming the door in God's face. That's what Judas did. Remember that story? Judas didn't really expect that Jesus would be condemned to die, even though he betrayed him. Judas even wanted to go give his money back to the people in, in, in the treasury when he found out they were going to kill Jesus. They said, I betrayed innocent blood. And, and the people just said, what's that to us? Get out of here. Well, Judas did not wait to see what would happen next. Judas didn't even consider the possibility that he could be saved or forgiven or restored. Instead, the Bible says he went out and he hanged himself. He committed suicide, killed himself. Judas closed the door on the possibility of God's grace. And I know a lot of people who symbolically closed that door on the possibility of God being able to restore them through his grace. Now, friends... I don't know a lot of things, but, you know, when I look at this story, if God can use a man who, after walking with Jesus for three full years, 
actually stood up in, pub, in the public square in a group of a bunch of people and at the top of his voice said he had no connection with Jesus. He had denied him three times. If God can use somebody like that after that kind of sin, then I'd suggest that he can use you, he can use me as well. So I'm just saying keep the door open. I mean, sin is ugly. Sin is destructive. There are consequences to sin. But I want you to know your sin, your sin will never have more power than God's grace. You could not name a sin that is bigger than God's grace. You can be restored. I'm just saying keep the door open. Here's the second thing. Keep the light on. Keep the door open, keep the light on. Now, I'm not talking about Motel 6. You know, we're not going to keep the light on for you. But if you want to experience this restoring power of the grace of God, you need to make sure that you allow his light to shine in your life. Now, how are you going to do that? Let me suggest a few things. One of them is to read your Bible. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. Psalm 119, you read it up there on the screen. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light for my path. You know, when you read your Bible, starting back in Genesis all the way through Malachi and then Matthew through Revelation, you run into people like Peter, you run into people like David and Jonah and Abraham and Moses, all of them, all of those names I just mentioned, all turned their backs on God at one time or another, committed sins that men of God should never commit, and yet, what happened? They were miraculously restored by the grace of God. Here's another thing. Pray. Make an effort to pray. I mean, there are times when we all struggle with sin. I mean, there's no doubt about it, myself included. We feel guilty. You know, we're, we're ashamed. We're embarrassed that we did something so stupid. Uh, it's worthless. And, and sometimes it's, it's, it's really kind of hard even to talk to God. You know, as hard as it is sometimes to go to somebody else and acknowledge the fact that you were really stupid and you were really dumb and did something foolish, now, I've got to talk to God, too. I'll tell you, friends, it's at those times when your prayers are most important. There's an old saying that says, pray hardest when it's hardest to pray. I mean, if you don't have the words to pray, you know, I'll give you just a simple little piece of advice. If there are times when you just honestly don't know what to say, take your Bible, turn to the book of Psalms, and read them. Because it's really a collection of 150 or so prayers of David. Things that David said when David didn't really know what else to say. I mean, when David commits adultery with Bathsheba and then murders Bathsheba's husband, what does he do? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You know, he doesn't really know what to say when people are chasing him all over the place trying to kill him. But he says, God is our refuge and strength. I mean, David felt oftentimes it was really hard to pray that sin got the best of him or that God was way too far away, but he prayed himself through those terrible moments. Well, another thing you can do is get with God's people. And I'm not going to kid you, and I'll be real honest with you. Some of God's people, some of God's people, and some people who claim to be God's people are very critical, they are very judgmental, they are very condescending, and if you ever run into any people like that, get away from them. 
Avoid those people like the plague. You don't need those people in your life. But on the other hand, I think you all know that there are some people in your life that are Jesus to you. There are other people in your life who are like Jesus. They stand there with their arms wide open like that father did with the prodigal son we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Their hearts are accepting. They want to do everything they can to help you get back on track. These are the kind of people that you need to seek out and let them minister to you to minister God's grace. So what do we say? Keep the door open, keep the light on. Here's the third thing. Keep the fire burning. Now, there are two things that contributed to this change in Peter's life between the time of his denial and that victorious ministry in Christ. Now, what are they? Well, one of them, he got serious about loving Jesus. I mentioned this morning in adult Bible class, I've just written an article that's going to be in a publication sometime in a couple of months, and it's called The Problem with Believing in God. And I'm not going to go into great detail, but a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I believe in God, or, yeah, God was behind that. Well, friends, it's a little bit deeper than believing in God because the Bible says the only way you can get to God is through who? Jesus. And the only way you're going to get to God through Jesus is what? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a little bit deeper than that. It's more than just saying, I love God. You know, have you fallen in love with Jesus? I remember using that term one time about have a love affair with Jesus. And I distinctly remember a young girl who came up to me after church, and she said, did I hear you say have a love affair with Jesus? And I said, yeah. And she said, wow. She said, I never thought about that way. I said, well, do you know what having a love affair is all about? You know, quite honestly, I'm not sure very many teenagers do. Despite the fact that Nancy and I were teenagers when we fell in love and got married <laughs> but you know it means you want to be with them you want to talk to them you you want to hang on to them you you want to be you want to do what you can for them. you know to have this love affair with jesus i mean in john 21 uh jesus has this conversation with peter after the resurrection and he reinstates peter to his position of leadership Three times Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And I got to tell you, there's a whole lot going on in that conversation. I could preach a whole other sermon on that whole thing. But, but, the, but central to this conversation is that Jesus challenged Peter to love him more, to serve him more, serve other people more. See, the fire of the Christian life is not found in the rituals or the traditions or the hymns, or the sermons, or the potlucks, or anything else, as fine of activities as those may be. The fire of the Christian life is found in your love for Jesus. And that comes first and foremost. That's why Jesus said the greatest commandment of all is what? Love God with all your mind. Love Him with all your heart. Love Him with all your soul. Love Him with all your strength. But you also do it by seeking the power of the Spirit. You know, before Jesus ever went back up into heaven, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, I got news for you. You've got some powerful young little lady here. I don't know whose baby you thought this was when you came in today. But when I told you this is now God's child, it meant it was somebody else's first. But God laid a claim on this little one, 
And the one thing that we believe today is what? Through the water and the word, God is able to ignite that little pilot light of faith. And it tells us that the Holy Spirit now comes to live in her. She's got amazing power there. But you all know enough that if you have a hot water heater and somebody lights the pilot light, that's a little hot water heater too, by the way. You light the pilot light, you better have some gas coming to it to keep it going. Which is why I ask you guys what? Will you pray for her, bring her to church? Will you do everything you can? That's why we ask your, your sponsors to do the same thing. That's why we ask the entire church to do that. Because we have in us the power to do way more than we think we can do. I would be honest with you, you cannot. I mean, she's a lovely little girl. But I'm going to put it, put it in terms of her. Addison will not live this life in her own power or walk in her own strength. She needs that power of the Spirit. But I'd say the same thing about the two of you. I'd say the same thing about everybody. I'd say the same thing about myself. I cannot make it through this life on my own power and my own strength. That's why Galatians says, live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Don't gratify the desires of your sinful nature. He also says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. And he said, if you're going to get drunk, get drunk on the Spirit. You know, live your life outside the Spirit's power in what? You're doomed to failure. You're doomed to sin. It's what got you in the mess you were in. I mean, after Peter was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, his life changed. I mean, he did a 180. He began to walk in the power of God. He walked, and, and God's power began to work through him. Now, I'm just saying again, if you want to be restored by the grace of God, open your heart, open your life to the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can live that life that God has called you to live. Now, it doesn't really make any difference. I'll say it again. It doesn't make any difference how far you've fallen. It doesn't make any difference how many times you've fallen. You can be restored by the grace of God. The guilt, the failure, the shame, all of it can be washed away. You can live your life instead with a life of hope and joy and freedom, knowing that you've been forgiven. I think about in a couple weeks, you know, my parole has been revoked again. I'm headed back to prison. I really wish I could take all of you with me so you could see this lived out in the lives of guys who were murderers and rapists and continual habitual criminals who have been fully restored by the grace of God. It's a powerful, wonderful thing to see. But, you know, you don't need to go to prison to see it. It's as close as the people that sit next to you or in front of you or in back of you. I mean, God is the God of the forgotten past. God is the God of a brand new day. God is the, the God of a day-to-day -day restoration. God is a God of victory and power, and it can all be yours. Keep the door open. Let him in. Keep the light on through his word and through prayer and through fellowship. Keep the fire burning. Return to your first love. Ask him to give you that heart of love. Ask him to fill you with the Spirit so that you can walk in his power. All I'm saying, friends, is let him do his work in you by his grace, and you'll be restored in his name. May God grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen.